Amen. Well, we're continuing on this series about joining God. And as we talk about joining God, I know a lot of people have a lot of different opinions or feelings about that. Uh, some people, uh, you may know people, I don't, maybe not yourself, but some people just don't think it's practical uh, to think about having a relationship with God that is real. They just don't see how that could possibly be. It might be for some other people or some elite spiritual people, maybe that went to seminary or in full-time ministry, but as for me, uh, I just can't, can't wrap my mind around it. Some get intimidated by the thought. They feel like uh, that, you know, if I really say that I'm going to follow God uh, and I really don't measure up to what I think I should do, then I'm a failure and I'll blow it. So why even try to have this close relationship with God? And then there's others that have this superstitious notion that if they get close to God, uh, God's going to ask them to do something that they would never want to do in their life or uh, they'll get close to God and then God will put them through some terrible trial and uh, the... <laughs> the They'll, they'll die, or, or, or somebody close to them will die. It's like uh, that Billy Joel song, Only the Good Die Young. You know, so if I get really close to God, you know, something bad's going to happen to me. And I think a lot of these issues or a lot of these reasons people give for not drawing closer to God or having a personal relationship with him, they all boil down to one thing, and I think it's fear. I think it's fear. It's a misunderstanding of who God is, what he's like, what it means to follow him. And so people live in a state of being afraid of coming closer to God. And that often can happen. They feel like they won't measure up to the standard or they live in shame and condemnation like they'll never measure up and why even try. Or others, they mask it with kind of a numbness or a hard, hard, heart, their heart is, uh, heart is hardened. And maybe they intellectually rationalize away God out of their life. They're not open to a personal, practical relationship with God. So what's the solution to this dilemma? You know, what is it that God wants us to understand? What if you know somebody that's in this frame of mind? How would you help them? What would you do to help them to get out of this trap of thinking that they can't have a close relationship with God? What would you say to them? You see, I think it's really important that people have to be convinced that God loves them unconditionally, extravagantly, uh, as we say, recklessly, as we sang about. God has this love and this passion for us, and he's pursuing us, and he's bringing us situations and people into our life to convince us of his love. And when that happens, things in our heart change things will change in our lives. And so if you catch yourself in this frame of thinking that is fearful of God or uh, rationalizing him away or just numb to his presence, you don't feel him at all, I could clearly uh, warn you that you may be in a position where you're not convinced of God's love for you. And how do I know that? Because in 1 John, one of my favorite verses, 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. 
and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And this, of course, is talking about the perfect, overwhelming love of God. When we understand that and experience that, it drives out the fear, the self-doubt, the things in our life that keep us from a close personal relationship with him. See, the, John says the solution is God's love, and it drives out this fear. And that fear may be manifesting itself in shame. It may be fear manifesting itself in condemnation. But I'll tell you, when you experience God's love, when you see that love that God has for you, then it can change your life completely. You know, I saw this fear and doubt in young men I ministered to, year, to some years ago. And uh, they were men that had grown up, or they were young teenagers, actually, or older teenagers, that had grown up in fatherless homes. And some of those homes were abusive. And their concept of God was uh, not a good, good father at all. In fact, they thought God was absent in their life. They thought that they couldn't trust anybody, not even their family members, that they had to make it on their own or made it with a few friends that would think the same way that they did. And so they isolated themselves, and it wasn't until they experienced the love of God that things could actually change in their life, and they could begin to, begin to trust God in a deeper way. You know, many of these kids grew up in violent homes and abusive homes. But, you know, we're living in post-9-11 times now. You know, maybe uh, the violence isn't as close to us as it would be in an inner city. But I'll tell you, we have a lot of fears that are going on in us as we, as we live in this culture of fear and worry today. And you don't have to grow up in a violent inner city to experience it. Uh, Frank Moy and I were just at a safety seminar for churches. And they said, now we got to have to have safety seminar. The FBI came and spoke in a church about safety protocol if there was ever an emergency, if there was a shooter that came into our, our sanctuary, what would you do? Well, they said, first thing, you got to tell people where the exits are. You know, the, the only exit is not right there. There's another exit right over here, all right? Not to say that anything like that's going to happen. I don't want to raise your elevation of fear, but perfect love drives out all fear. But what I want to say is this, that we're living in a society today where things are, seem more dangerous than they were 20 or 30 years ago. And so, how do you deal with that? Well, some people, they just um, isolate themselves. Or they harden their hearts so they won't be hurt or disappointed in love and, or in, in God. And so they, they pull back away from God and they say, I'll try to make it on my own. Uh, this year, I was reading in, uh, uh, about Yale University. They offered a course to all the freshmen this year. You know what it was called? It's called Happiness 101. Now, why did they offer a course Happiness 101? Well, it's interesting. And what kind of response did they get? The first day, 300 freshmen signed up for it. Within three more days, 1,200 students had signed up for the course Happiness 101. And so it was given by a psychologist, professional psychologist, doctor of psychology. And what she did is she just talked to them about how to experience happiness in their life. Because a lot of these freshmen, Yale, and they're depressed about it. 
And then later on in my life, when I, when I got my first ministry, God was still with me. And even though my first assignment in ministry, even though my house was broken into 13 times within the first three, three months, God still saved me and delivered me in every situation. And you can tell stories about that as well. Maybe it's a car that you've been driving. I remember when I was driving with my family and uh, we were, just came off the highway. As we come off the highway, the front tire, the axle breaks and we go about 30 miles an hour, skid and slide right into the only parking spot that was available. It didn't hit another car. <laughs> if it would have been happened three minutes before that at 55 miles an hour, we would have flipped. You know, it would have been, you know, it could have been fatal. But you look back at your life time and time again, God's love is being revealed to you. His deliverance is being revealed in your life. And that's what we need to go back to. Now, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So God is concerned about this relationship with us. He wants us to experience this love in a deeper way. But you know, it's not always, this, we know in this life, God doesn't deliver us from every situation that we face, right? I just went on Wednesday to a funeral of a 34-year-old mother with four children. Um, they, she happened to be the daughter-in-law of co-workers when we lived in Newark, when we ministered in Newark. And their son, Adam, who grew up with my daughter, Krista, married this woman. They had four children together. And just uh, a week, uh, about a week and a half ago, they found her dead in her home. And we went to the funeral. And at the funeral, it was amazing to see how one person after another came up and spoke about the love of God that they saw in Jennifer Larson's life. This woman who was only 34 years of age, but she had this love for God and love for people, and God used her in a tremendous way to touch so many people. And then God took her and took her home. But the amazing thing was is that people were, although shocked and grieved, they also knew they knew without a shadow of a doubt that they would see Jennifer again. Even though it was difficult. You see, God doesn't just bring us happiness here in this life. He has planned eternity for us. Yeah, you ha we have this life. We have that little dash from the time we're born to the time it says on our tombstone, the day we die. You have that little dash of life in there to live. And you can live it for God and you can live it with the love of God and the presence of God in your life. Or you can live in fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, shame, regret. You can live in a lot of different ways. But if you live in the love of God, it changes how you view life and how you live life and how you're motivated to live your life. God is at work in our lives. You know, God has always been at work in our lives. He's always pursuing us. You know, we see that throughout the scriptures. He is always at work in our lives. And uh, even as you look at in, in some of the scriptures, 
You'll see right in the beginning of Genesis, when God is working with Adam and Eve, he is walking with them in the garden. There's a picture of him walking with them in the garden. But then the next few scenes, you see them moving away from God, hiding from God, running from God. And so you see this is, begins right in Genesis and goes throughout the whole Bible, that God is pursuing us, and a lot of times we're running away or we're hiding from God. And then what does God do? Even after they sin, he still pursues them, and he clothes them. They say, you know, we were hiding from you because we're naked. And then what does God do? He clothes them. He offers a sacrifice. He kills the two animals. And it's a picture of the blood of Jesus covering us as well. And there's a foreshadowing of what God was going to do. The same thing as you see God working with this woman, Hagar, in Genesis chapter 16. She is alone, destitute, rejected by Sarai, her, um, her master uh, and who she's working for. Abraham's wife, she's rejected. She goes into the desert. She's about ready to die, and then God meets her there. God reveals himself as the God who sees, who sees her situation, who loves her, and he provides for her. And then you see it in Abraham's life. You see, in Abraham's life, when God begins to work in Abraham's life, he chooses him, he gives him a name, he gives him a new name, he gives him a, a, a land to pursue. He gives him a son, finally, after many years. And then in Genesis 22, Abraham is asked to go and sacrifice his son, Mount Moriah. And the strange thing is, is right before he's ready to kill his son, God provides the lamb. God says, Abraham, don't do that. I provided for you. I was testing you to see if you loved me. You see, God is more concerned about your love for him and your relationship with him than he is about what you're doing. He places his relationship with you at an all-time high. That's why even if we're joining God in the work that he wants us to do, the one thing he wants us to be absolutely convinced about is how much he loves you. And that relationship that you can have with him. So God is always bringing us back to God loves me. Theology 101, God loves me. He'll always bring you back to that basic foundation and have you rely upon that love. But you could go throughout the whole Bible and you'll see God's love pursuing people, men and women, one after another. Whether it's uh, Ruth in the book of Ruth or whether it's David. In, in First and Second Samuel, or whether it's into the New Testament, God is always pursuing all the apostles, you know, assuring them of His love for them. One of the my favorite scriptures is taken from uh, Romans chapter eight, uh, thirty-one through thirty-five, and it's really the story of the apostle Paul. It's really. Uh, the Apostle Paul is pursued by God, remember? He's pursued by God in Acts chapter 9, and then God comes and speaks to him, and then Paul responds to him, and then Paul, so convinced of the love of God, has this tremendous relationship with God and then tells everybody about it. And then in that scripture, 
Uh, it says here in Romans chapter 8, 31 through 35, it says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And Paul probably experienced all those things. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God's love is still even there. He goes on to say, As it is written, We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, and, he, and, and this is where Paul says, I'm convinced about this. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, nor the present, or the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Paul was convinced about the love of God. And it changed everything that he did and motivated him then to love others with a love that was beyond his own strength. And God can do the same thing in our lives. I want to close with one story about uh, Ravi Zacharias. He was in the Middle East, and he sat down with some of the founders of the Hamas faction that had been opposed to Israel's government. And he came to some conclusions about his conversation. He said this, Do you know why the Middle East is the cauldron of hate? Because it's living with the logic of unforgiveness. He was talking to one of the founders of Hamas, Sheikh Talal, and he was uh, part of a group of people who had gone to the Middle East to try and bring peace uh, uh, together, people to come together at the peace table. And Sheikh Talal was the host and gave him a great meal, told of 18 years he'd served in prison and how some of his children had been lost in suicide bombings. And when Rabbi Turn came to ask a question, he said, Sheikh, uh, forgive me if I'm asking you the wrong question, but please tell me, why do you think suicide bombings, why do you think suicide bombings and sending your children out like that is worth it? You're just sacrificing your children. And after he finished his answer, Ravi said, Sheik, you and I may never see each other again, so I want, it, I want you to hear me. A little distance from here, there's a mountain upon which Abraham went 5,000 years ago to offer his son. And as the axe was about to fall, God said, stop. And Ravi continued. Do you know what God said after that? And the sheik shook his head. God said, I myself will provide. And then he nodded his head and said, very close to where you and I are sitting, sheik, is a hill. 2,000 years ago, God kept that promise and brought his own son. And the axe did not stop this time. He sacrificed his own son. And Ravi said, he just stared at me. The room was full of smoke with all the security personnel that were there. And Ravi concluded his talk with him. 
I may never see you again, Sheik, but I want to leave you with this. Until you and I receive the son that God has provided, we will be offering our own sons and daughters on the battlefields of this world for land, power, and pride. And then he said, I could see the man's lips beginning to quiver. He was sitting right next to me. Nobody said anything after that. And as we were walking out, Sheikh Tahal went quickly and shook, his hand, shook hands with everyone. And then he came over to me, Rave, and grabbed me by the shoulders, kissed me on both sides of the face, patted my face and said, you're a good man. I hope to see you again someday. And Rabbi Zechariah says this, when you understand God's love for you by sending his son to pay for your sin and you find forgiveness, it's an unparalleled message. In Hinduism, you pay with karma. In Islam, you never know if your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. But the grace of Christ comes to you and says, if any man comes to me, I will in no wise cast him out. That, my friends, is the love of God and something we can build our life upon. If we build our relationship in this world out of that love, then what John, 1 John says next will be true of us. 1 John 4, 11 through 12 says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one, ever, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And that same word complete is the same word used in the Greek as perfect. It means mature. It's the same love that drives out fear also matures us so that we can love other people the way that God has called us to. And that's the picture of God's love. You see, God's love drives out fear. And that's the love that we can rely on in our lives. And then we can build a relationship with him based on that love. And when we do that, uh, we can love more others more freely than we ever have. You know, today we're going to prepare for communion. And I hope you've been convinced of God's love for you. And I hope that you're building a relationship with the Lord based on that love. But if for some reason you feel that you're just not sure about God's love for you, then I say go back to the very basics of how God demonstrated his love to us. He demonstrated it at the cross. He demonstrated by sacrificing himself. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the basis of your relationship with God. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on how you even feel. It's based on the fact of what Jesus did at the cross. And from that, from that, build your life and your relationship with God. And when you do that, things change. You know, even some of those men that I talked about, those young teenagers are now 40s and 50s, and every so often they'll write me and they'll tell me, Al, I finally understand how much God loves me. And it's changed my life completely. I, I love my children now. I've started a family. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm serving in my church. 
And so they, they, they grasped hold of that. See, when, once we grasp hold of the love of God, it changes us. It can impact us in a powerful way. So it begins, first of all, with humbling ourselves before him. You see, God doesn't want anyone or anything in your life to come before his love. Because he knows his love is what you need in your life. His love is what can change you and comfort you and give you a purpose for living. And if we put other things ahead of that, we short-circuit the process, we end up pushing God away or either hiding from Him when we short-circuit that process. And so God will always bring you back to His love. He will always bring you back to that understanding. And so a lot of times in my life, when I'm not sensing the love of God in my heart, when I'm not convinced of the love of God, I know there's something wrong in my spiritual life. I know there's something wrong there. It's, a, it's like a warning light blinking on my dashboard. And it's saying, what's going on? And so I hope today, if uh, you're here or you know somebody that is struggling with something in their life, bring them back to the love of God, the love that God has for them. He is a good, good father. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we just come before you. And uh, Lord, we want to understand your love in a deeper way. We thank you for the cross, Lord, that it is ever showing us how much you love us. This is love, not that we loved you, but that you loved us and sent your son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So as we gather around the communion table, Lord, we ask that today you'll open our eyes, open our understanding to your love in a deeper way. We pray this in Jesus' name.